0: So you're at the liquor store, you're reading some labels, and you see one that says High Rye Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey, and you think to yourself, what on earth do all of those words mean? What's up, guys? My name is Chris, and I am the host of the Whiskey Noobs podcast, which you are currently listening to, and today I want to break down bourbon, the different types of bourbons, and the different terminology that you might see on a label. So before we get into that, I just want to mention in the last episode, I mentioned that we had made it to, I believe, number three. On the iTunes charts I just want to take a second and thank you guys Because we are now officially number one On iTunes in the United States For the category of hobbies And we have been there for I think Four days, I think this is the fourth day now So thank you all so much For your support and for all of the Rating, the reviewing, the listening All of those things, I'm so grateful And it's pretty awesome to see um, That we have made it all the way to number one I didn't think that was going to happen And it's all because of the listeners, so thank you guys Now, as I do in any episode where we don't do a full review, I'm going to do a quick mystery review. I'm going to keep it brief for this episode so that we can get into the good stuff, and then I'm going to break down the main types of bourbon. I'm going to give you some examples of those types and try to help explain what to expect from the different types of bourbon and from the different words that you can see on a bourbon label. So without further ado, let's do the mystery review really quick, and then we'll get into the breakdown. So this is going to be a quick mystery review because I know exactly what this one tastes like. I get strong, I'm going to use different adjectives than I used in the episode where this whiskey was used, but I get strong granola-y type flavors with a little bit of like a nice light, almost tropical fruit, and some maybe cinnamon and brown sugar mixed in there for the sweetener. So those are the type of things that I'm tasting. Once again, this has been in an episode of Whiskey Noobs, and I'm purposefully using slightly different adjectives, and I will revisit this a little bit later on in the episode and use more specific adjectives to see if you can guess what it is that I'm drinking. It has been. I will tell you it's been in the last 10 review episodes. So out of the last 10 bottles we've had on the show, uh, this is one of those 10. And if you can guess it, that's going to help you a little bit with your blind tastings and with learning to recognize whiskeys by their notes. At least that's the idea. If nothing else, it's at least a little bit of fun. Now, let's get to the bourbon breakdown, as I am calling it. As I mentioned, maybe you've read that label that I mentioned in the beginning. Maybe it confused you. Maybe you've read posts online of people talking about wheaters or wheaters, and you're like, what is all this about? Maybe you know what those terms mean, but you want to hear it broken down a bit more specifically. Well, that's exactly what we're going to do today. So let's start with a recap of what bourbon is, and you can get a full explanation of American whiskey breakdown in episode seven of the show, but I think this episode is going to pretty well cover it. It's just going to have a little bit less story and a little bit less of the fun facts about bourbon in general, and it's going to get more specific about bourbon. So if you want some fun facts, you want some stories about bourbon and where it came from, you can check out episode seven of this podcast. So quick recap of what bourbon is. Bourbon has to be made in the United States. It does not have to be made just in Kentucky. That's a very common misconception. Bourbon has to be made in the United States of America. Basically, you cannot make bourbon anywhere outside of the United States. You can follow all of the steps to make bourbon in Canada, in England, anywhere you'd like, and it won't be bourbon because it has been made in the United States, but it can be made outside of Kentucky. I want to be clear because that's a very popular, very common myth. Now, what is bourbon made out of? Well, it has to be made from at least 51% corn in the mash bill. So the mash bill is your list of ingredients. You can think of it as basically a recipe or just the ingredients side of the recipe, not the actual actions or things or steps that you're going to take to make it, but the ingredients list. That's what the mash bill is for whiskey. And for bourbon specifically, it needs to be at least 51% corn in that mash bill. So where you see Scotches and a lot of Irish whiskeys using mostly malted barley, some Irish whiskeys using unmalted barley, that that's the main ingredient for any single malt is malted barley. So where you see that as the main ingredient for a single malt, you will see corn being the main ingredient for a bourbon. Now, corn's going to be the main ingredient. There are going to be other ingredients as well, but we will get to that. The next rule cuz that's the other ingredients aren't a rule for how to make bourbon. But if we continue down, what makes a bourbon, the next rule that we have is it has to be distilled to less than 160 proof. So you cannot distill bourbon at a higher proof than 160 proof or 80% of alcohol by volume. So 80% of the volume of what's coming out of the still is allowed to be pure alcohol, but no more than that. The idea behind that is it's going to help the bourbon retain some of its flavor. It's going to make it taste less like nail polish remover, basically. But this is still coming out of the still, so it still doesn't have a lot of the flavor because it needs to age for a little bit. But speaking of that aging, the next rule is it has to be barreled at less than 125 proof. So now you might say, wait a minute, we just distilled it to 160 proof, maybe, in theory, and now I have to put it in a barrel, but it can't be more than 125 proof. That is because you'll have to water it down. You will have to die dilute it if you distill it to 160 before you put it in the barrel. So it has to be barreled at less than 125 proof. This could mean it's coming out of the still at 125 proof and going into a barrel. It could mean it's coming out of the still at 160 proof. It's having whatever percentage of water that is. I can't do that math off the top of my head added to it. And then that, that water is making it 125 proof and then you're putting it in the barrel. So that is also a a possibility. Now you're putting it into a barrel. What type of barrel are you putting it in? Well, it doesn't even technically need to be a barrel, although I always say barrel just because that's the easiest thing to say it technically just needs to be a quote unquote new charred oak container. So it doesn't necessarily need to be a barrel. doesn't necessarily need to be a cask. There are a billion different variations of what I call a barrel based on size and shape and all those sorts of things. You could look it up sometime if you're curious, but it needs to go into a brand new charred oak container. A couple points of note that are important there. First is that it has to be new. What does that mean? That means that it cannot have had a different spirit, a different wine, a different beverage, anything in the oak container. The oak container had to be built, charred, and have bourbon put into it, or I guess distill it. that's going to be bourbon since it's not bourbon yet. It needs to be brand new. It can't even have previously had bourbon in it. It has to have not had anything in it aging before another point of note that is very important because I have I'm pretty certain I've misspoke on this on the podcast a couple of times is it has to be a charred oak container it does not it does not necessarily need to be white oak and it does not necessarily need to be American oak. I think I've said those both before by accident. Um, That's not the case, so I want to be very clear. It just has to be a new charred oak container, and then it has to go into that oak container. It has to be aged for however long, and then it has to be bottled at 80 proof or higher. You cannot bottle bourbon at less than 80 proof. Now, notice I want to make a clear distinction here. It has to be distilled to less than 160 proof. So I I don't want to throw around too many 80s and confuse people. It's 80% alcohol by volume coming off the still. It's 80 proof going into the bottle, which is half of that. Proof is always double your percent alcohol by volume. So to keep things simple, the easy way to think of it is 160 coming out of the still, 125 going into the barrel, and at least 80 going into the bottle. Um, And the 160 and the 125, those are maxes. 160 max, 125 max, 80 men. So those are the numbers to remember when it comes to bourbon. Notice that I said you age it for however long and then you put it into a bottle at more than 80 proof. What do I mean by that? Well, you don't really have rules for aging bourbon um, in terms of it being a bourbon. It just needs to be aged. If it is aged less than four years, you do have to make an age statement on the bottle. So if it's not four years old, let's say you age it for six months, you have to put on the bottle that it's six months old. Now, if you want it to be a straight bourbon whiskey, as mentioned in that first example of walking around the liquor store and seeing that on a label straight bourbon whiskey means that it's aged at least two years that's the rule for straight whiskey means it's aged two years and so a straight bourbon whiskey is a bourbon whiskey that's aged at least two years so those are the main rules for bourbon. We could get real specific with the law, but I'm just trying to keep this rather simple. The easy way of thinking of it, those are the main rules for bourbon. So what exactly is a high rye bourbon? What's a weeded bourbon? What does what all, all that terminology mean, right? As mentioned in the very beginning, it needs to be at least 51% corn to be a bourbon. But what is that other 49% or up to 49%? Well, the next most abundant grain in the mash bill is called the flavoring grain. This is the grain that's going to pretty much have a huge impact on what the whiskey is going to taste like. I don't want to make it sound like this just determines what it tastes like. Aging plays a huge, huge role in what whiskey is going to taste like. But in bourbon specific, especially because you can only use those brand new charred oak containers, the mash bill has a pretty big impact. And that flavoring grain is going to cause the whiskey to taste a different type of way depending on what you use and how much of it you use. So traditionally in bourbon, rye is the flavoring grain and it's usually approximately in the teens of percentage. So you've got corn that's at least 51% and then you've usually got rye that's somewhere in the teens of percentages. And usually the corn, typically speaking in the industry, is way more than 51%. Um, I, I see pretty often around the 70 percentages. But rye is going to be the next one in line and it's going to have usually in the teens. Barley is also usually present in small amounts, uh, not so much for flavor as much for the uh, fermentation process. So we don't really talk about barley too much, at least in my experience when we're talking about the flavoring grains of the bourbon because rye and nowadays wheat, which we will talk about, are the two big ones that can really impact what your bourbons going to taste like. So that leads us to, high rye, and weeded bourbons. Well, based on changing the amount of the flavoring grain, whether it's rye, whether it's wheat, how much of it you're going to use, you can create either a high rye or a weeded bourbon. These are very general terms. There are plenty of bourbons that claim to be high rye and don't even really have too high rye of flavors or claim to be weeded and don't follow typical weeded flavors. And maybe their mash bills you wouldn't think of as being too high of rye because it's kind of a vague rule but the rule is this a high rye bourbon is a bourbon that has more rye in it than typical it's not really an exact number but it's usually between 20 and 35 percent of the mash bill is rye as i mentioned the normal would be in the teens Normally, you're going to have this corn sweetness, the barrel notes are going to come through with that corn, and you're going to have a little bit of this this spiciness, this punch of rye, and that makes what I would call a traditional bourbon. Well, you can crank that up and you can get between 20 and 35% of your mash bill being rye, and that will be a high rye bourbon, which we'll break down a little bit more after I talk about weeded. Wheated bourbon is you replace the rye with wheat, and a lot of the times, it's all of the rye. You take all the rye out, you put in wheat instead. Once again, I will break that down and give some examples here later. But first, let's break down and give some examples of high rye. So I can't find a story or a bourbon that claims to be the original high rye, probably because the category is so vague. I'm sure there were people making high rye bourbons before it was considered high rye bourbon. They were just putting a lot of rye in their bourbon recipe. But when you think high rye or when you think rye in general, in terms of whiskey, you want to think about spiciness. You want to think about punch. And for those of you who like that punch, you want to think about exciting. These are going to be the exciting bourbons. They're going to punch you a little bit there. You're going to feel it when you take a sip of it a lot of the time. And I'm speaking in generalities here. There's always exceptions to the rule, but a lot of times you're going to feel it when you take a sip of it, it's going to punch you. It's going to have some of that black pepper or maybe white pepper. It's going to have spiciness in general. Uh, My favorite high rye bourbon that I can give an example of is most of the Four Roses lineup. You've probably heard me talk about Four Roses single barrel quite a bit. Four Roses does some pretty cool blending with different mash bills, and those mash bills are high rye mash bills. There are a couple other high rise that, uh, or at least bourbons that claim to be high rye. Once again, it's kind of a general category, but some of the most common that you probably have heard of if you've been in the uh, hobby for a little while would be Wild Turkey or Bullet Bourbon uh, or Old Grandad Bottled and Bond. So all three of those, Wild Turkey, Bullet Bourbon, and Old Granddad Bottled and Bond, those are all high rye bourbons. Another one that I, when I was looking this up online that came up and I was like, I didn't realize that was high rye, is apparently 1792 small batch. This is a good example of one that doesn't have rye characteristics to me. I get like very little spice. I even did a TikTok in an Instagram reel about how little harshness or how little aggression it has. It seems very smooth and mellow to me. But I've also gotten comments from folks saying that it's incredibly spicy. So I'm guessing batch by batch, there's some pretty strong variation because I've had people when I was talking about how smooth it was, who were commenting that it tasted like jet fuel, that it was gross. It was like gasoline. It was like napalm. And so I was like, clearly there's some variation. This is a, it's a small batch. And anytime you have small batch, you have the risk of different batches tasting different. Um, So that's my guess for 1792. But to summarize high rye, you're going to have spiciness, you're going to have punch. It's going to be, in general, more exciting if you can handle that spiciness and that punch. And if you want a good example, once again, my favorite is Four Roses. Now, let's get into weeded bourbons or weeders. So you'll see people call them weeders, um, and it's a really hard thing to say on a microphone. It might sound like I'm saying weeders, but I'm saying wheaters, wheaters, if you use that H and you really enunciate it. So people call them weeders, W-H-E-A-T-E-R-S, and a weeded bourbon is, like I said, the idea behind it is you take out the rye and you add in wheat, and you might wonder why you'd want to do that. Well, I'm about to explain that. First and foremost, Buffalo Trace's Weller lineup claims to be the original weeded bourbon. I was doing some research on this, and there's definitely some dispute online as to whether that's actually the case, but there also aren't any earlier recorded distillers that I found that made that claim um, that could prove they were earlier than Weller. So Weller, if you've heard of Weller and you've seen the bottle, it does say the original weeded bourbon. They do make that claim to fame. Whether that's the truth or not is definitely debatable online. I love the Weller lineup, but that does not mean they were the first. So I don't know for sure if they're the first or not. But why would you take out the wheat and, or take out the rye rather, and put in wheat? That's a great question. So the idea is rye gives spiciness, it gives punch, it gives excitement. But maybe that's not what you want, Um, especially for newer folks. I find that that is too aggressive for a lot of them. A lot of people, when they first get into whiskey, they want smooth bourbons. They want mellow bourbons. They want easy to drink bourbons. Now, let me clarify. A lot of times I talk about smoothness in two sort of different ways. So there's smoothness of the alcohol burn, the fact that a whiskey might taste like it has less alcohol in it than it does. And then there's a smoothness that the flavors can bring you. Uh, It can have more mellow flavors, less punch to it, overall just be easier to drink. And especially for newer folks, those two smoothnesses can basically be one and the same. You could hand somebody a whiskey that has a little bit more spiciness to it, and they might think of it as harsh. And this is something that can be very hard to decipher. It's totally a subjective way of looking at it. It's just the way that I typically look at it. And when I'm talking about weeded bourbons being quote unquote smoother, I'm talking about them having that smoothness of Flavor. You could absolutely still have a high rye bourbon that has less alcohol burn to it for the amount of alcohol that it has in it and is what many would consider smooth. And you can absolutely have a weeded bourbon that is the opposite of that, that has not a lot of alcohol to it, but burns a lot like it has a lot of alcohol to it. But those flavors can still be smoother, quote unquote, or mellow, etc. So that's kind of what I'm referring to when I'm referring to the smoothness of the weed bourbons. And the higher the rye content, the less it's going to be that. The more it's going to be a little bit aggressive, the more it's going to have, like I said, that spiciness. And that spiciness can be very uncomfortable, especially if you're not past the alcohol burn yet. So if you take out that spiciness, you put in wheat, you're going to get something that's going to be a lot more welcoming. It's going to be what most people would consider quote-unquote smooth. It's going to be sweeter, and it's going to have less spiciness to it. And once again, I think that's great for newer folks. There are also very experienced folks, including myself, who enjoy wheat, wheated bourbons. Um, it just is a matter of what you want on the day. If you want exciting, if you want punch, you want rye, If you want mellow, if you want approachable, if you want smooth, then you want wheat. Uh, They both definitely have their benefits. I like to think of it kind of like whether you want a spicy meal or a not spicy meal. Some days you just want a big juicy burger that's got mushrooms and Swiss on it. Some days you want the Nashville hot chicken sandwich. It's just a matter of what you're in the mood for. And that's the way I treat wheated bourbons versus high rye bourbons. But I do want to preface because a lot of people will ask me, you know, what's a smooth starter bourbon? And a lot of times that my brain goes to the weeders and it is, but that might not be your palate. I I wouldn't just assume that you like smooth. I have buddies who from the get go preferred things a bit spicier. They preferred a little bit more punch. Uh, Justin, who has been on the podcast multiple times, is a great example of that. The smooth, sweet bourbons he usually does not like very much. That's another reason that it's really important to try to be objective when we're doing our reviews because I might like weeders, you might like high rye. If I'm being subjective, then I might tell you that a weeded bourbon is great and it's the best thing since sliced bread and then you're going to try it and you're going to hate it. So that's just a little plug for objective reviewing. And for a few examples of weeded bourbons, we've got Maker's Mark is a very common one, although it doesn't have as much of that mellow sweetness, ironically enough. Maker's Mark's a little bit harsh to me for a weeder. Uh, Larceny, which definitely does have that mellow sweetness. It was actually the winner of the Budget Bourbon March Madness because of how smooth and approachable it was. And then we've got Pappy Van Winkle. That is a very... Often known uh, bourbon <laughs> that's a weeded bourbon. So, if you've heard of the Van Winkle, the fam- Van Winkle Family Reserve, Pappy Van Winkle, Old Rip Van Winkle, if you've heard of those, those are weeded bourbons. And then, of course, the Weller that I mentioned in the beginning. Those are all pretty well known weeded bourbons. And the, if you've had any of those, it'll give you an idea of what to expect. I think Larceny is a great example if you're looking for something in the budget range to try to get a little bit of experience with a weeded bourbon. I just took another sip of the Mystery Whiskey. So a couple more notes from it. I would say I get a little bit more alcohol than I would like to get from this whiskey. But I also think the notes are very creamy. It's a little bit of a, uh, what's the word for it? I think dichotomy is the word, but maybe I'm wrong. But you've got the alcohol harshness up against flavors, which are very smooth. The whiskey itself is not very smooth, but the flavors come across as... Creamy and very drinkable, but then you kind of get punched by this alcohol burn. So, the difference you know, you might have a bourbon that's very spicy and it doesn't have a lot of alcohol burn to it. This is kind of the opposite of that. You've got alcohol burn, but it's not very spicy. It's kind of just calm and sweet and a little bit creamy. Um, Once again, I said granola in the beginning. Maybe I'll say more like. A coffee cake. Ooh, I think a coffee cake is actually a pretty good descriptor. A coffee cake with a little bit of that general tropical, maybe not super tropical, but light fruitiness to it. Uh, And I I like the brown sugar and cinnamon that I mentioned, which kind of goes along with coffee cake. A little bit creamy, a little bit custardy, and that's all I'm going to say for now. Now, let's get back to our label that we mentioned in the beginning of the show. So I mentioned you're in the liquor store, you're looking for a bourbon, and you see a label that says High Rye Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. What, what is that even about? Or it might say Weeded Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Well, the first bullet point I have here, High Rye, so the first, the first phrase in that label, High Rye or Weeded. We now know what that means, but that's what it's indicating is what the mash bill of it looks like. Mind you, this doesn't take into account any of the factors that aging can give you, and aging can have a drastic impact. Uh, too old of bourbons, especially if it's in an area where temperature fluctuates a lot, they're going to get that spicy barrel char flavor to them. So I should add that age is going to have a, a huge impact on the flavors as well, but I'm speaking in generalities here. so. Your label says High Rye Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. High Rye, you know what that means now. Kentucky is an important thing to point out. This is the reason, this is one of the reasons so many people think bourbons have to be made in Kentucky, but they don't. But when it says Kentucky on the label, then it means it's made in Kentucky. So if it's a Kentucky bourbon, a Kentucky bourbon whiskey, Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey, High Rye Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey, all those variations mean that it is made in Kentucky. Then you've got the straight word, which I mentioned earlier. Maybe you remember it, maybe you don't. Straight means it's aged at least two years. A straight whiskey is aged at least two years. For a straight bourbon whiskey, it's aged at least two years in new charred oak containers, as mentioned. And then bourbon whiskey, it follows all the rules that we mentioned in the beginning about bourbon. So you've got a high rye bourbon. You've got a high rye whiskey, rather. It was made in Kentucky. It was aged at least two years and it follows all of the rules to be a bourbon. That is what a high rye Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey is. If it is a weeded Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey, or it might say Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey, and then it might say elsewhere on the label that it is a weeded mash bill or something along those lines. That means it is a weeded bourbon. It is a weeded whiskey. It's a a mash bill that's 51% corn. And then the flavoring grain is wheat. It's made in Kentucky, it's aged at least two years, and it follows all the rules to be a bourbon. So, it's kind of hard for some folks to grasp, I think, sometimes because the words all kind of depend on each other. High rye. Well, what does high rye mean? Well, there isn't just a high rye whiskey. There is rye whiskey, which is something entirely different. But the the high rye depends on the bourbon. So, it, it can't be a high rye bourbon without first being a bourbon. I think that's why sometimes it can seem a little bit confounded the way you read these labels. But, That is the general way to read a label like that, and I hope it cleared things up a little bit, but as a little bit of bonus information, I'm going to add what you might see before or after that statement on the bottle. So You may also see small batch. You may also see single barrel. You might see barrel proof, you might see cask strength, or you might see full proof. I've mentioned all of these before on a QA and a episode, so I saved it for the end in case you want to just, you know, skip it, hit that 15 second button, whatever, find the mystery review out and then be done listening to this episode. But I am going to talk about those. That way it's all contained in one episode. So what does small batch or single barrel mean? Those are two different terms. They're not used interchangeably. They have similar There's a similar idea behind the two of them. The idea for each of those terms is that you are not mixing or blending together a bunch of barrels of bourbon. So you're not taking huge quantities of bourbon, mixing it together to get a nice consistent flavor, and then bottling that. That is the case for most traditional bourbons. Something that's very mass-produced and very consistent in flavor, something that you know what it tastes like before you even buy it because you've had it before. Think Buffalo Trace, think Wild Turkey, think Jim Beam. A lot of those are blended together of a ton of barrels. Four Roses, as I mentioned, you're blending together different mash bills actually, and you're blending together the same ratio every time if it's different mash bills or if it's all the same mash bill and all the same age, you're just blending together huge volumes of barrels that all contain approximately the same liquid and you're doing that to get consistency and why what do I mean by consistency if it's all the same mash bill and it's all the same age first of all it doesn't need to be as mentioned four roses different ages different mash bills I think wild turkey uh, does different ages if I'm not mistaken but if it is you still have some inconsistency Different locations in the warehouse or the rick house are going to give different flavors because they're going to see different climate as it's aging. It's aging for a very long time. So it's going to see different temperature fluctuations. It's going to see different seasons of the year. Depending on where it is in the building, it's going to see all those different things. It's also going to have a different barrel. The barrel itself, it's going to be made the same, but that's not going to make it exactly the same. So every barrel turns out tasting slightly different, especially to the experienced palate. So what most mass producers of bourbon do in the traditional sense, if it doesn't say single barrel, it doesn't say small batch, they're blending together a ton of those barrels in order to get a consistent flavor. If it says small batch, they're doing that same thing in smaller batches. They're doing it in small batches to try to every batch they're trying to produce as perfectly as they can. They're trying to make it taste as perfect as they can by adding a little bit of this, a little bit of that. A lot of times, sometimes it's just a gimmick and it's just a smaller batch, but if it's craft, if it's meant to be craft small batch, that's not a technical term, craft. I'm just saying if it's meant to be more crafty, the idea behind small batch, the the spirit of the thing, I guess, if you will, is to put together a little bit of this, a little bit of that to make the best tasting batch that you can make. And so if it says small batch, that's typically what they're talking about single barrel is going to take that to a fully different level as far as you can take it. And it's going to, as the name suggests, take a single barrel and bottle all of the whiskey in that barrel, maybe dilute it, whatever you're going to do, filter it, bottle all of it. And then it's going to take a different barrel and bottle all of that. So single barrel whiskeys like Blanton's, for example, are going to taste different depending on the barrel you've gotten, because as mentioned, different barrels have different flavors. So depending on which barrel you have, you're going to have fully different flavors. This is the idea behind store picks. So a store pick or in the state of Ohio, uh, an Ohio liquor pick basically is when they go out, they taste different barrels and they pick specific barrels for specific flavors and they barrel them or they bottle them. Sorry. They bottle those up and they sell it as a single barrel. The whole idea is some barrels taste better than others or just different than others. And so if you barrel it, even with the same mash bill, the same age, the same distillation process, all of it being the same, you still get different flavors. Uh, And this can be very well seen between different store picks of the same whiskey. So small batch, smaller blending batches, single barrel, one barrel being diluted, filtered, whatever you're doing to it and bottled. Then you've got the different proof points. You've got barrel strength. You've got barrel proof. You got cask strength. All three of those, barrel strength, barrel proof, cask strength, I don't think I've ever seen cask proof, but I'm sure it's possible. All of those are saying you took it from the barrel, maybe you blended it, whatever, but you didn't dilute it with water, and then you put it in the bottle. So it is the strength that it was in the barrel. It's stronger than it was going into the barrel because throughout time it's getting stronger in the barrel Most of the time, the water is evaporating off, and alcohol is staying behind, and the whiskey itself is getting stronger. So you might fill up a barrel, and 10 years from now, you might have half of a barrel left. Sometimes, depending on your climate, depending on the barrel, all those things play into it. But it's coming out at the the strength that it comes out of the barrel and going into a bottle. Full proof is something different. Weller, I think it was Weller that did this first, but I might be wrong about that. Uh, Weller decided to make things difficult, and they have Weller Full Proof, which is not the same as barrel proof. Full Proof is the proof that it comes out of the still. So no matter what proof it comes out of the barrel, they are watering it down to 114 proof for Weller Full Proof specifically, and that is what they mean by Full Proof. So let's take this one step farther. Our label says barrel strength, high rye, Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey. And elsewhere on the label, it says small batch. What does that mean? Well, barrel strength means it is the proof that it was when it came out of the barrel. High rye means high rye. We get that now. Kentucky means it's made in Kentucky. Straight means it's aged at least two years. Bourbon whiskey means it follows all the rules for bourbon. And the small batch means instead of mixing together ginormous batches to get a consistent flavor. They're doing this in small batches, quote unquote, whatever that small batch means. I think I don't need to go through this again because I think you can understand what it would mean if I said single barrel instead of small batch. But those are what all of those terms mean. And that's why labels can get confusing. As you see, just in this 30 minute episode, I have laid out a ton of different variables that you could see on just a bourbon label. This is just bourbon. I'm not talking yet about Scotch, Irish, none of that, although you can have the cask strength and the barrel proof on those. But this episode was dedicated to breaking down types of bourbon and things you'd see on a bourbon label. So you can see how there is a lot in the whiskey world, and that's why labels can be confusing, especially for newer folks. So I'm hoping I laid that out in a pretty comprehensive way. Um, Hopefully you guys, my hope is that this will make it easier to read labels. And each of those things I mentioned, by the way, are great variables to think about when you're doing tastings and to try to learn what it is that you like. As I mentioned, Justin definitely likes high rye whiskeys. I go between high rise and weeded bourbons, but depending on my mood, I might choose one over the other. So those are all great variables to try to learn about and try to uh, learn a little bit about yourself as to which one you prefer. Okay. So hopefully, once again, hopefully that's a comprehensive breakdown. I know labels can be a little bit confusing. Uh, It's even good for me to go over because I forget some of this stuff over time. I mean, it definitely is. There's a lot to it and it's good to learn a little bit about it to learn more about yourself and your preferences. Speaking of my preferences, let's round this out with a review, a mystery review of a whiskey I wasn't super fond of the first time I tried it. I'm much more fond of it now though. So this whiskey, simply put, tastes like a banana nut muffin, but it's just got too much burn to it, I guess, to fully appreciate that banana nut muffin. Although this time around, I'm definitely enjoying it a little bit more than I did the first time around. If you've been here long enough, you probably guessed it because this is a pretty specific one. Today, we've got TX Blended Whiskey, which gave me this nice, unique, I think I said custardy or maybe creme brulee the first time I had. I don't remember for sure. Um, and a little bit of like a banana nut. Um, it gave me all those sorts of exciting flavors. It just had a good amount of burn to it. This time around, maybe it's just my palate condition today. It's probably just my palate condition today. Um, It doesn't taste nearly as much. I don't taste nearly as much harshness. It doesn't burn nearly as much. I'm actually really enjoying it. Um, So I enjoy this more this time around than I did before. I will echo what I said in the TX episode, and that's that if you don't like this unique palette because it's kind of specific, you may not like TX, but I definitely think it's unique. It's probably worth having on your shelf because it's relatively inexpensive. Uh, So hopefully you guessed that. And once again, I think those can help you with blind tastings or just with learning how to guess what a whiskey is based on the notes. So there's kind of two aspects to a blind tasting if you're trying to guess what the whiskey is. The two aspects are you have to taste the flavors and understand what they are. And then the second aspect is you have to take those flavors that you're hearing and use your database in your mind of what a high rye bourbon tastes like, what a weeded bourbon tastes like, what scotch tastes like, what Irish tastes like. You have to use that database in your mind to try to match those notes up with one of those if you're trying to guess what it is that you're tasting. So the idea is we're working on that second half when I do these mystery reviews. Hopefully that's fun. I think it's a little bit of fun and I've had people reach out and tell me that they enjoy it. So I'm glad that some of you guys enjoy it. Otherwise, you can stop hitting the 15 second skip button now because I'm done with the mystery review for the day. That's all I've got on the bourbon breakdown. Let me know if you found this helpful or if you want to know more, something else that you see on a label that I missed. Let me know. But hopefully this will help you guys to read that label when you're in the liquor store. As always, I'm going to leave you guys with learn to drink, drink to learn. Thank you for listening to this episode of Whiskey Noobs. If you like the show, please make sure to leave a five-star rating or review to help grow the show and get the word out. You can also find more Whiskey Noobs content on Instagram at whiskey underscore noobs and on TikTok at whiskey noobs podcast. If you want to drink right along with me, make sure to join the email list by sending an email to podcast at gmail.com with a subject line saying email list. You will receive monthly emails with a list of the whiskeys that will be featured throughout the month so that you can buy them ahead of time and drink right along with the show. Once again, thanks for listening to this episode. The Whiskey Noobs Podcast does not support underage or otherwise irresponsible consumption of alcohol.